leaders got up and they shared different things with the congregation about how they'd been stood at the school gates as a mum with other mums and they'd happened to say, come round for coffee and a few mums came round and then they got saved and they ended up coming into church. Absolutely, it ruined me for church. I've got to tell you, I expected every church to be like that. But I've prayed this. I recognise that it's up to God when he moves. It's not something we can engender. We cannot force it and I don't want to force it but I am praying and I want you to know I am praying partially selfishly I want to end my ministry in the same way I began all right in a place where it is exciting to be in a place where it's not just the mundane every every week in church where you go through the motions but God is moving God is speaking in the prophetic God is healing the sick God is We're seeing people saved and they're being brought into church. We are running baptismal services to baptise those who get saved. And so I want to tell you, I am hungry to see God do something. So I better start. I've set myself 30 minutes. That's what I'm doing. So wherever I am at 30 minutes, I will finish where I am. But that'll be it until next week. All right. So here we go. I'm going to recap just quickly about last week, all right? So why the Acts of the Apostles? Why is it I'm starting there? And my reason for choosing the Acts of the Apostles is quite simple, really, because it, it tells us what happens and how people are impacted when they come face to face with the indisputable fact that Jesus Christ not only died on a cross, but he rose from the grave. Amen? Jesus rose from the grave. It's an indisputable fact for me. It's an indisputable fact that even those who want to deny it find difficult to disprove. They just have to hang on to what they want to believe because I think there is loads of evidence for that fact. And the second thing is the indispensable. So it's the indisputable fact that Jesus was resurrected. But secondly, the indispensable presence of the Holy Spirit. Now we are an Elim church. Elim is a Pentecostal denomination. It was born in 1915. It saw loads of stuff happen in its early days, into the 30s. Crusades where when they went to Glasgow, they, they had this mission and they started in a hall and it was too small within two days because they prayed for the sick and the sick got healed. And so they moved in the middle of a mission, a fortnight's mission, they moved two days later to another hall upstairs and people would bring wheelchairs no lifts in those days so they would carry them up the stairs people with body casts people bought on stretchers they were carried upstairs they prayed for the sick and they got healed the royal infirmary from uh, uh, from Glasgow what happened was they would send a flatbed lorry every morning to pick up the the crutches the walking sticks the the the, the body the body cast the wheelchairs and the leg braces that were used they moved again and again and again until there was 2 3000 people in a meeting The indisputable fact that Jesus was raised from the dead, but the indispensable that the Holy Spirit is moving. We cannot do anything without the Holy Spirit. So that's where I got to last week, all right, basically. 
The resurrection demonstrates that what Jesus, predict, what Jesus predicted about himself, about being raised from the dead, was true. The resurrection proves that Jesus is the Son of God, not was, is the Son of God, current, active, alive. The resurrection testifies to the success of Christ's mission of salvation. The resurrection entitles Jesus to a position of glory. The resurrection proclaims that Jesus is Lord, and I've got verses for all those if you want them afterwards. Without the resurrection, we're stuffed, to put it bluntly. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says, Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection from the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. That's a bit of a mouthful. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope, in this life only, we are of all people to be most pitied. This is not just a this life, get me through this life situation. In Ecclesiastes that I read, it said God has set eternity in our hearts. And in in fact, I believe God set eternity in every person's heart. Whether they follow Jesus or not, it just means that they might not experience eternity in the same way that I might. Or you might. And therefore, for me, we need to believe passionately You're going to hear that word a lot from me. Passionately that the resurrection is true. Last week, we started in Acts 1. I talked about our passion, the kingdom of God. Kingdom implies a king, and the king is Jesus. Jesus' call was not to pray a prayer. Jesus' call was not to attend a meeting. Jesus' call was to follow him. And I'm not saying us gathering together isn't important because Paul says, well, no, I better not call it Paul. The writer to the Hebrews says um, that we should not forsake the gathering of ourselves together on the first day of the week. Why? Because we're here to build one another up, to encourage one another, to, to hear God in the body, not just as one isolated person on their own. You see, I believe that we need to weigh the things that God says, not just go, oh yes, that's great. We need to weigh them because I know that in this life I only see through a glass darkly. I don't see it all clear and sometimes I can go beyond that which God has told me and we need to try and discern those things. So passion, it's a king we've been asked to follow. Grace is a gospel that is preached today. Grace is a beautiful word. I love it, don't you? Grace. I could say it again and again. Grace. It's beautiful. But what we've interpreted the grace gospel to mean, it doesn't matter how I live, what I do. Dallas Willard said this, and it's all in a worry that we are going to try and earn our salvation with God. We can earn our salvation. There's nothing I can do that will make God love me any more than he already does. I don't have to earn 
His salvation. But this is something that Dallas Willard said. Grace is not opposed to effort. It is opposed to earning. Earning is an attitude. Effort is an action. Grace, you know, does not just have to do with forgiveness of sins alone. We are saved by grace alone, but it isn't the only thing that grace has to do with. So our passion, our purpose, our purpose in Acts 1.8 was quite straightforward. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria until the ends of the earth. As God works on my life and the Holy Spirit is moving in my life and in your life and we are being transformed from one level of glory, Corinthians, to ever-increasing glory, so we should be on an upward path, all right? As that changes, as we are transformed and conformed to the image of Jesus, God's Son, Romans 8, 29, as we are conformed to His Son's image, we will naturally start to become witnesses to the risen Christ because our lives will be speaking loud and clear by the way we live and the way we speak and the way we are and the way we don't retaliate like other people do when they are wronged. We will be different. We will have a different fragrance about us, a different smell. So I talked about our passion, kingdom of God, our purpose, and Jesus is our passion. Our purpose is to be witnesses and our priorities. And I pointed out that the disciples still had the wrong priority, even at the beginning of this book. They wanted to know when the kingdom was going to be restored to Israel, but Jesus says, but you will be. They needed to get their priorities in order. They'd just been on a course for 40 days with Jesus about the kingdom of God and they were still asking the wrong questions so let me free you up it's all right to ask the wrong questions it's absolutely fine to ask the wrong questions ask questions it's okay so let's move on I got 21 minutes and five seconds to go so you know where you are with me at least Acts 1 I'm going to read from verse 12 Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. And when they had entered, they went to, to, up to the upper room where they were staying. Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the zealot, and Judas the son of James. All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. In those days, Peter stood up among the brothers. The company of persons was in all about 120 and said, brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in this ministry. Now this man acquired a field with the reward of his wickedness and falling headlong he burst open in the middle and his bowels gushed out and it became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem so that the field was called in their own language Akeldama, that is field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms may his camp become desolate and let there be no one to dwell in it and let another 
take his office. So one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time the Lord Jesus went in and out amongst us, beginning with from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. And they put forward two, Joseph called Barsabbas, and the other was called Justus, who was also called Justus and Matthias. And they prayed and said, You, Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and the apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven. So, so our reason as I said, for starting here, is because I think that the Acts of the Apostles shows a church that is God-centered, Christ-centered. And one of my big things is I want to be Christ-centered in everything that I do. I want us as a church to be Christ-centered in everything that we do. And in the Acts of the Apostles, we find, I know it's a historical book, And people say you don't make um, doctrine out of the Acts because it's a history book. I know it covers 28 years or 30 years of life, but it still contains a lot of things that we need to grasp and begin to, to operate in, for want of a better phrase, if we want to see God move. And so that's why I am starting here. We need to be witnesses, first of all, in Jerusalem. Where we are already, directly, now. Our immediate sphere of influence, our family, friends, work colleagues, school friends, and through us as a body, the city. It doesn't mean that Wells, Elam, Connect. Elam, Connect is the only church in town. God forbid that that is the case. But the reality is we have a part to play in the reaching of this city, in the reaching of this geographical area for Jesus. Judea, the familiar region around us. So you might not live in Wells itself. You might live out, I don't know, what do you call Wells? Is Wookie still Wells? Yeah? No, it's Wookie's Wookie, is it? All right. Um, But you might live in Cheddar. I know some of you do. I know that Claude lives in Cheddar. David and Jeannie live in Bath. But in this geographical region, this region... All right, we have a part to play in the overall plan of God. And so we need to be witnesses there. Samaria, to those geographically further away than Somerset, all right, and then to the ends of the earth. And for all we know, some sat here this morning, how do we know that you might not end up on the mission field somewhere? In some far-flung place in the earth where... Nobody else goes. The angels even probably fear to tread in some places. That's a joke, by the way, all right? Because they don't fear to do that. So, uh, but to the ends of the earth, we need to start recognizing the importance. So, here we are. We have three things that I'm going to do, five minutes on each. Three things that are important in this passage we've read together. Number one, active waiting. You may have heard the phrase, rushing in where angels fear to tread. 
Now the disciples have been with Jesus just as he's ascended into heaven. Now I know that Jesus gave a direct command to go and to wait. But if I had been in such a meeting, such a gathering, I would have been probably pumped. And the biggest danger would have been to come down off the mountain and to think that we could change the world without waiting and just get on with the task. But with wisdom, these guys decided that they would be obedient to Jesus. But at the same time, they did not just go back to Jerusalem or go to their own respective homes and sit there waiting, saying, I wonder when it's going to happen then. I wonder when it's going to happen. Will it happen? I'm just going to nip down and see Peter, see what he thinks. Has anything happened, Peter? No. They didn't do that. It said they gathered together and they devoted themselves to prayer. Prayer, in and of itself, is not a disobedient act to what they have been told. They've been told to wait until they received power. Then they would be witnesses. But they waited actively. Actively. They got together and they prayed. They met together daily and they prayed. Now, that was not an uncommon thing in those days. Meeting together daily wasn't uncommon. And I often hear people will say to me, Dave, yeah, but you don't understand first century wasn't like the 21st century. You know, it, it was different then. Yeah, you're probably right. There was lots of differences. No mobile phones, no tablets, no television, none of those things. Which was probably a godsend, to be perfectly frank with you. But the reality is, they waited actively. And if we want to see a move of God, guess what? We have to be prepared to wait actively, not passively. Not just sit there hoping something will happen, but coming and being serious with God and devoting ourselves to prayer. And in, a, in the end of chapter 2, you'll see that the four things, they devoted themselves to the apostles' doctrine, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayer. Prayer is something that happens right throughout the whole of the Acts of the Apostles. And therefore, they waited actively. The reality is, when anything is going to happen and shift within a body of people, there is something that needs to take place. You've got the early adopters, the sort of 2.5% of the people who go with a new idea, they go, oh, this is great, we're going to get into this. And then you have another group of people that follow them. Eventually, they're sort of an early adoption majority of people start moving. But you're still not at a place where there's a tipping point. And we have to reach a tipping point in God. And some of us here might not believe this, but we can prevent God moving amongst us and God moves somewhere else. You can go to Scripture. It says Jesus could not do anything in one place because of their unbelief. And therefore, 
We can prevent God moving. So we have to wait actively. We have to, for me, begin to wait on what is it that God wants to do? What is, it, what is it he wants from us? Who does he want us to start praying for? Who is it that, you know, we can pray generally, but there's nothing more powerful than when we pray specifically for people to come to salvation. We ask for God to give us openings with our work colleagues and our friends because the reality is for a lot of us, we get to be friends with people first because we believe that if I'm a friend first, then I can share the gospel. In my experience, the closer I get to someone, I get to a point actually where I might say, I don't want to ruin a good friendship. What if they don't like what I'm about to tell them? I could have come here and I could sit with folk who work for us who are not Christians and not mention Jesus till I've built up a rapport with them. Martin will tell you, the very first meeting I had with them, I talked about Jesus quite openly. Um, and I'm not embarrassed about that. The reality for me is this. We need to actively wait and we need to do it asking God to impact those around us. And so... Active waiting, not being passive. There is definitely a principle in Scripture of receiving, waiting, fulfillment. Without a doubt, we're in that phase now. Jesus came. He died on a cross. He rose from the, the dead. Salvation is available for everyone. But eternity is still to come. We're in eternity, some people would say now. The kingdom of God is now, but not yet. It is now, we've entered, but it isn't yet fully experienced. And therefore, there is this principle. Jesus, at his baptism, he's baptized. The dove descends on him. He's driven into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit. He then spends 40 days having a fight with the devil. Overcoming the devil with the word of his father. Really going to town on the devil. 40 days. And then it says this in Luke 4. He returned in the power of the spirit. 40 days. David was anointed by Samuel as king. And it wasn't 40 days for David. It was about 15 years. He had been anointed to be king. He had it conferred upon him kingship but it was 15 years later before he held that office and he had a lot of time running in the wilderness pretending to be absolutely mentally mad going around drooling like a dog I mean some of those things we'd say what what but then came the day when he walked into his kingship his the place that he had been anointed to be Active waiting. Number two, three postures for disciples and followers of Jesus to take in preparing for an outpouring of the Spirit. Posture one in this passage, all these with one accord. All these with one accord. The importance to be of one mind and in one accord in unity is paramount. The thing that gets in the way most of the time 
from God being able to move within a body of people is broken relationships, criticism, gossip, things which get in and seek to put up barriers between people. Jesus, or Paul in Philippians chapter 2, which is a favorite portion of scripture for me, he says, then make my joy complete. Be of one mind. Be of one accord. Be in unity together. Consider other people more significant than yourself. That is a posture of humility. Where you raise up other people, not yourself. It's not about you, it's about everybody else. And we serve one another. And so we need to have a posture of humility. A posture of unity together. Unity does mean to be of one mind. To be in agreement. Having the same love. Having the same regard and affection for one another. Being of full accord. Having the same purpose. That's why it is important if we are to operate as a body, we don't do things independently. We don't do things where we just decide we're going to do this and we're going to do that. And, you know, I'm not worried whether the church is looking at it or is it interested in it. I'm going to do it anyway. I'm just going to be a maverick out there on my own. This morning, without mentioning anybody's names, somebody came to me and told me that they were doing something in their home. And they just wanted me to know because I was the pastor of the church. And they were asking if I would come along and, you know, and, and just, it's, it's an act of submission in godly authority. And therefore, we might have lots of good things going on. But I want to say to you, if you want to be covered, you need to let us as a leadership know. Not because we're going to say don't do it, because most ministers, most pastors, most leaders, if it's a great idea, they're going to say, bless you, get on with it, own it. But at least then we know what is going on within the church. And so to be having the same purpose, to be of one mind and in agreement, I'll put that down twice, how stupid. Second posture, devotion to, devoting themselves to. So posture two is devotion. Posture one is One accord, being in unity. Posture two is being devoted. Being devoted. For me, I'll sum it up in a word, having a passion. Being passionate. You know, there's nothing worse than unpassionate Christians. Honestly, it it just, it sucks the life out of you. You have been with people that when you spend time with them and you walk away, you feel that life has been sucked right out of you. I think it was Gordon MacDonald called people in church, you've got VIPs, very important people in your life, and you've got VDPs, very draining people in your life. And what all he said was, we shouldn't dump and just ignore people who are in a bad place and so drain you. But what you must do is you must make sure you spend more time with VIPs than you do with VDPs because if you don't, you won't have anything to give because it will have all been taken out of you. We all go through times, low times, difficult times, 
And at those times, we are desperate for someone to draw alongside us. And we, if they've got life, we want some of that life because we want to survive. And that's natural. But for those who are having life taken from them, you are being a blessing to that person. But make sure you, you get with VIPs in your life that you are built up yourself so that you've always got something to give. Passion, devoted to, devotion. I've been married to Liz for 43 years this year. And I would say that I was devoted to her and she is devoted to me. I can trust that Liz will never speak badly about me, even probably if I deserved it, she still wouldn't do it. Now, I'm not talking about, you know, um, stuff that happens sometimes, you know, uh, marital violence and stuff like that. I'm not, I'm not talking about that. But I know that Liz will never put me down. Never put me down. And you will never hear me put her down. I will only speak positively of my wife. And she deserves it because she lives with me, all right? But she will never speak negatively of me. I have a security in that. Devotion is something which breeds trust. It breeds that in not just, um, not just that relationship, but other people who come in and are around that relationship, it, it overspills into their life too. And so we're devoted. Do you know, I once went on a degree. I decided I was going to try and get a master's degree up at um, Regent's Bible College. And so it was that you had to go on block release, you know. <laughs> and I'm lousy. If, the moment I'm separated from Liz, I'm lousy. So I'm, I'm an hour up the motorway on my way to Malvern. And I think, oh, I just want to hear my wife's voice. So I ring her on the mobile phone, hands-free, all right, and she talks to me. So I talk to her for an hour, maybe a little bit longer on the phone. And then I say, oh, I've got to go, love. I've, I'm, not, I'm about 10 minutes away now. <laughs> and then I drive. So I've just spent an hour and a bit talking to her on the phone. Second break, the one in the afternoon, I give her another little ring just to say, hi, how's life? Is it all right down there? You know, then in the evening, I give her another ring. <laughs> I'm a, I'm a sap because I love her and I want to be with her. I'm devoted to her. When we're devoted to God, we want to be with him. We want to be with others who are devoted to God. We want to worship together, pray together, encourage one another. We can't get enough of it. If you struggle just to get to church once a week, I've got to say something to you. and I, It's my second... Sunday on my own running I want to say something to you ask for prayer because if you're not bothered that you don't see anybody else the rest of the week and it's just on Sundays and that's enough I'd say you need a checkup, spiritual checkup. You need, you just need to go and see the main doctor the consultant spend some time with him ask him to do you a full check over because I can't wait. I've had a couple of occasions where I've met with Steve, and I can't wait to have another opportunity to meet with Steve. 
You know, it's great. I, I really enjoy it. It's great. We chat. We, time just flies by. A couple of hours has gone and I don't even recognize it. <laughs> so, 16 seconds. Sorry, guys. Um, where did I get to? Let's see. What's my third? Prayer is the third posture. We have to pray. We pray individually, I'm sure. All of us will probably do that. But we need to learn to corporately pray together. I used to hate it as a kid. You know, the prayer meeting? It was the most boring meeting of the week for me, you know, because you get taken along as a pastor's kid and you'd sit in the prayer meeting. Some pastors might not do that, but I, I, I did have times where my mum wanted to go, so I had to go because she couldn't leave me at home alone. I would have loved that, all right? But she didn't. And so I'd go and I'd sit there and everybody would sit in a circle and we, they'd pray around the circle. And I've got to be honest, some of those saints are beautiful saints. Don't get me wrong. But we've got to learn to pray. You know, when we get to Acts chapter 4, I think it is, where they, they have a prayer meeting and the place in which they were was shaken, I'm sure they weren't going... After you, Sarah, will you have a prayer? John, will you pray? Vicky, it's your turn now. They were just lifting their voices together with one accord. They had a purpose for being there. They wanted to call on the name of the Lord and they prayed and the place in which they were was shaken. Prayer has to become an indispensable part of our life, not just as individuals, but corporately. And yet prayer meetings, when they're called, are so often the worst attended meetings of the church and yet it is the powerhouse it's the powerhouse Vicky what was the words of that song you sang battle yeah there's a bit of a fight on my knees I couldn't believe the songs that she chose this morning they were great lastly and I'm over by two minutes do you mind you want to give me just a bit longer lastly we have leadership. Leadership is of paramount importance. I've got a whole list of reasons. Let me just dial back. Prayer is important because simply the importance it's given in God's word. It was the teaching and demonstration of Jesus. It is the first instinct and should be of the new life. It gives vital breath to us and to the church. It's a privilege for us to pray and have the opportunity to come before God and talk with him. Hear this, it can supply and accomplish every need that you have. And through prayer, God's will is accomplished. They're the reasons prayer are important. I like Tozer Tozer's very succinct. He simply made this statement. The key to prayer, are you ready for this, is simply praying. Not looking for a formula. Just do it. The key to prayer is simply praying. Last then, leadership. I'm not going to unpack all of this, but the only thing I want to point out to you was leadership was important. There was 120 people meeting there. <clears throat> there had been 12 disciples. Now there were 11. And they wanted to replace that disciple who had fallen, Judas. 
Now, the reality is, I think there was a lot going on here. There was stuff to do with Israel and the fact that 12 is an important number in Israel, 12 tribes and all the rest of it. And I don't really want to get into that, all right? But the, re- the reality is, they obviously f- believed and it was recognized that there was leadership within the body already. Now, if Jesus was there for 40 days to his ascension, right? By my reckoning, and I might be wrong, there was another 10 days to go before D-Day, all right? That's the outpouring of the Spirit, in case you're wondering what I'm talking about. And so in those 10 days, there was already a recognized group of people who were recognized as having some form of authority. And so when Peter gets up and he starts to speak, the man who puts his foot in his mouth more often than you would like, he stands up and he starts to speak. Nobody challenges him. Now, hear this. That doesn't mean I don't think sometimes leaders need, don't need challenging, because they do, all right? There are ways of going about that, and maybe we'll look at that another time. But he stands up and he says someone needs to take the place. He recognized there was a need for leadership. He recognized that there was a gap in the leadership, and therefore he wanted to fill that gap. And how does he do it? It's the importance of how he does it for me. And I want to point out, because where we're going, we have no formal membership at the moment, which we need to have. And when we have a formal membership, I know that the minister puts forward people for eldership, but the body ratify that by a vote, right? It's not like put your hand up so everybody knows what you voted. It's a, a ballot vote. And that person then has to get a two-thirds majority in order to go through and be part of the eldership team. That's how Elam do it. I'm not arguing if you follow a different pattern, that's absolutely fine. But that is the pattern, and I'm not going to act in rebellion against the denomination of which I'm a part unless they do something extremely anti-God, all right? Because the rebellion is the, as of the sin of witchcraft, according to 1 Samuel, all right? So I'm not going to put myself in that position. But the reality is that there was this process. So Peter begins with the word of God. They've been praying. So there's prayer and the word of God in the mix. They then put forward a rationale, if you like, a person specification. What does this person need to have? And when we get on to leadership in the months that lie ahead, we will look at 1 Timothy and we're going to look at Titus and we're going to look in Peter and we're going to look at what is the person specification for an elder in the church or a deacon. What are those specifications? So it is not that this is an unusual event because it continues in the life of the church. It continues in the life of the church. Recognition. There has to be some recognition of those who carry specific anointings for what they do. So they pray. They, they come out of the word of God. They've got a person spec, what they are looking for and what they need. And then they make their choice. Now, I know it says at the end they cast lots. And that's a difficulty for me, all right? 
I can't explain that to you. The only easiest explanation is saying, well, of course, the Holy Spirit hadn't been poured out at that moment in time. However, I think that's a bit of a weak argument, but it makes no odds. They cast lots, and they believed that the one on whom the lot fell, that was the right person. I have been in a situation where a guy was once put forward for leadership in a church that I ran. He missed the vote by one vote. One vote only. And I was remonstrating with God about it. God, that's got to be wrong. Why, 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 why? About six weeks later, we found out his marriage had fallen apart, but he had never, ever told anybody. And therefore, God had it covered. And I'm not using that just because, because I, I still, in myself, I'm still unsure about the voting idea, but hey, I'm wanting to go with it because I've actually seen that even be used by God. It's about our attitude that goes with it. So here are your takeaways for today. Number one, we want to be Christ-centered. Number two, we want to be Holy Spirit dependent and empowered. Number three, we want to be people-focused. Number four, we want, the gospel, we want to be gospel of the kingdom motivated. And number five, discipleship-driven. Your invitation is to follow Jesus. Can the guys come back, please? Um, <clears throat> so yeah, so that's it for today. All right, um, and I've rushed that to be honest. I should have probably slowed down and unpacked it a bit better, but I'll have to revisit probably some of those things. Reality, guys, I just want to say to you God's for us, not against us. And if God is for us, who can be against us? Who can stand against us? Who can stand against the situation you're in when God is for us? Who? The answer is implied, no one, no one. I'm excited. I want you to get excited about being around people who are excited about Jesus. I want you to be excited about coming and being together in the body, whether that's in a group of four or five to pray, whether it's in a group of 10 or 15 in a small group that happens once a fortnight, whether it's a group of whatever we are right now, 50-odd people or whatever it is. I want you to be excited every time you gather. I want you to be excited going to work. I want you to be excited rubbing shoulders with non-Christians. I want you to be excited because I want to tell you it's magnetic. I want you to be excited most of all about Jesus. About Jesus. Because he is all in all. We don't need anyone else but him.